do you have any idea what it's like for a preacher who just sits through that? You know, the, re the reality is when we get before God first thing in the morning or late at night, still lying on our bed, head on the pillow. David said, I commune, my soul communes with God. It's not about just in here singing. I, I, I'm a weeper. Anybody else here a weeper? You don't have to own it. I'm a weeper. I cry very, very easily, uh, especially when it comes to God. Three songs before. As Mike was singing, I was just thinking, God, I, when you exhale, I want to inhale. And then he comes up with that song afterwards. It's your breath in my lungs. That's what it needs to be. Walking with Jesus is not just an intellectual exercise. Now, we need to understand the gift of the prophet is subject to the prophet. We are in control of the gift he gives us. And sometimes we quench it. And sometimes we release it. But the scripture does say, by faith, it does say, the gift of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Please take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. We're in our third week in the Gospel of Mark. And the reality is, as I got into verse 4 through verse 8, I thought, will we ever get out of this? There's so much in these five verses that Mark, always using the word immediately, 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 that it's, it's, it's like he was just out here at Table Rock Lake and, and he was on the shoreline when the water was down and there was a shoreline. And he'd pick up a stone and he'd try to skip it across the surface. And sometimes it would go, and sometimes, you know, you throw that rock and it just goes, and lands in. And it's almost as though John Mark has done one of those when it comes to John the Baptist. He has taken that stone of, of everything that Luke deals with and John deals with and Matthew deals with so much about John the Baptist, whom Jesus said of those born among women, there is none greater than John. And we have five simple verses that may not be as simple as they look like. Let's see what it says. You have your copy of God's Word. I'm reading from the ESV, beginning of verse 4. John appeared. Now, I couldn't hardly get away from that. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness 
and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. They were confessing their sins. Now John, he was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Verse 7. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray you will take your word and not only from here, but throughout your scriptures. We look at it this morning and I, I pray that you will knit it in our hearts and burn it in our minds and let it be upon our lips as we proclaim Jesus above all. The Father, understand this servant fulfilling the role you even prophesied that he would have simply for Jesus to be presented on the scene. God help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John appeared. Isn't that a, isn't that a strange way? He appeared baptizing in the wilderness. He appeared. Uh, uh, the, the word is middle voice, which means... He himself, reflexively, he, he did something and brought himself into the open, into the wilderness. Now, if, if you have a concept of wilderness here in south, southern Missouri right here, you might think trees and lakes and rivers and streams. Well, there was the Jordan River, all right, and a lot of rocks. And there were villages here and there. And it's where Jesus was baptizing, in, or where, where John was baptizing in, a, in the Jordan River. It was... A wilderness. In other words, it wasn't the city. It wasn't the main city. He was out in the wilderness. Now, John doesn't give us the background. So if you still have God's copy open, I want you to look to Gospel of Luke. You know the story. You know the fact that John came as a prophecy of God. The angel Gabriel came as his father, Zechariah, was a priest, and his, his group of priests happened to be serving in the temple that day. And the lot was cast, and Zechariah actually got the opportunity to go in this day and light the incense, symbolizing Israel's prayers continually being lifted as a sweet-smelling savor up to the Lord God. And while he was in there... The angel stood by him, Gabriel. Zechariah was, he, he was shocked. He didn't, he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't know. He was afraid. And the angel said, don't be afraid. God has sent me to announce to you that in your old age, you're beyond childbearing us, but in your old age, you and your wife Elizabeth, you will have a son. You'll name him John. Telling him everything that John was going to do. Zechariah just came to the place where he said, how am I going to know this is going to happen? By Gabriel's response, we find that Zechariah did not believe the account. Because he says, because you did not believe, you will be silent, unable to talk for the entire time from now 
till he is born. Wives, can you imagine nine months with your husband not saying, don't answer that? Here was the process. He comes out. He was, he was long inside. The people were afraid. Something had happened. He comes out. He lets them know somehow he's had a vision. He cannot talk. They think he's had a vision. They go away. Everybody thinks this is special. Nine months pass. First five months, Elizabeth simply hides. She doesn't come out in the open because... Who's going to believe at my age that I'm going to give birth to a child? At five months, she comes out. In the sixth month, Gabriel, the same angel, appears to Mary, right? And tells her that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, the Holy One of God. And, and in this process, and now your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month. At the end of Mary's encounter, saying, be it to me, according to what you will, she goes to visit Elizabeth. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy at the voice of the mother of his Lord. The scripture says he was filled with the spirit from his mother's womb. Wow. Wow that he was filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb. If we were to go ahead, the day comes in Luke chapter 1. Look down verse... Look down in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring, what he wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all of the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Don't gloss over that. All these things, he's six months older than Jesus, the baby's born, still three months till Jesus' birth. All of these things about John, the people talked about all over Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now that's what everybody was saying. I don't know about you. They didn't say that about the three hedger boys. They knew there were things up. But it wasn't that they were all talking about how special we were. 
Verse 6 and 7, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. He prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that he should be saved, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Verse 76 changes. He's holding his son, or he's looking at his son, John. Notice what he says. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 80. And the child grew. He became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So here's John, all his life in the wilderness. And it's all wrapped up with Mark simply writing, John appeared. The word is genomai, in the middle of voice. He suddenly brought himself out in the open. Now, I don't know what, the, do, do you ever wonder things like, I wonder how many were there the first time he preached. I wonder what the crowd was like. Was there one? Were there two? Was he out there preaching when no one was there? Did he go into... Bethany, did he go into one of the other little towns? We're not told any of that, but what we're told is he was preaching, he was proclaiming present tense, active voice, participle. It's what was going on about him appearing and preaching. He was, he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Think how radical that was. Think with me. These are Jews, right? These are God's chosen people. We might say, these are Baptists. For them, they were Jews. They were God's chosen people. They didn't get baptized. Gentiles got baptized who turned away from ungodliness and false gods and studied about Yahweh, about Jehovah, and decided that they wanted to become a proselyte Jew. They wanted to become a Jew. They had to take a test. They had to turn their back on everything that was, and they would begin to follow Jehovah and, and go to the synagogue. And be, These were the God-fearers that decided, I want to take the next step and actually become a member. Does that make sense? They wanted to be a Jew. Not all the way. 
That would mean they'd have to be circumcised. But they could be baptized, basically confessing their sin. The Jews had the mindset they were already gods. What did they have to confess? Why did they have to be baptized? We don't have to be baptized. We're not Gentiles. We're God's people. And yet, here comes John. He appears in the wilderness. He proclaims and baptizes for repentance of sin. And all of Jerusalem... You want to try to explain that away? All of Jerusalem and all of Judea came out into the wilderness away from their cities, away from their villages to the Jordan River and would hear John preaching. Now, Mark gives us none of his preaching. Luke does. John does. Matthew does. They're gospels. They talk about he's got his winnowing fork in his hand and he's putting his, putting his wheat in the barn and burning the chaff. Turn from your wicked way. He was an old-fashioned revival preacher. But he was more than that. Because the third verse here says how he was dressed, what his appearance was. He had on a leather belt with camel hair garment it tied around. He ate locusts. He ate honey, he didn't eat any meat. This is a weirdo, right? I'm turning to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 20. No, 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 no. Wrong passage. 2 Kings, 2 Kings, chapter 1, Ahab has died, Moab rebelled against Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, had taken over, he fell through the latticework, he was sick, He was wondering what he was going to die. He sent his servants out to find some prophets of Beelzebub, the god, small g, of Ekron. He wanted to inquire of Satan whether he was going to live or die. In the meantime, God appears to someone named Elijah. And he comes to Elijah and he tells him, this is what he has done. You go tell them, is there not a God in Israel that you have to go to Ekron to inquire Beelzebub about your health? You tell him, Elijah, he's going to die. And so Elijah goes to the servants, tells them. They come back, they tell him this. Verse 7, he says, He said to them, as the king said to the servants, he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? Verse 8, they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. Ah, the king said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. 
Now, the one thing the Jews got right in their education system, it was in the synagogue. Every child, when they turned five, would go to the synagogue where their education system was. By the time they were 12, they had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized in order to pass. And if they continued on in education, they would learn about the prophets and the kings and the poetry. They knew their history. They knew the end of Malachi, the very last verse, that in the last days, Elijah would be sent before that great and awesome day of the Lord. Here they were. They knew this appearance of John as Elijah the prophet. They had not had a word from God for, a fresh word from God for 400 years. For 400 years, no fresh word from God. And in the wilderness comes John, the baptizer, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and confession of sin. And the Jews came out. They saw how he was dressed. They heard what he was preaching. They all began to ask, what do I need to do? What, what, what is it? And he would tell them. And they were being baptized, and they were confessing their sin openly. They weren't just saying, I'm a sinner. The word sin is hamartia. Sins, plural. It's in the plural. They were going through their sins. Hamartano is the word in the book of Romans that used all we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the things that we need to understand in our theology of God and the wrong that is done in our lives, whether we want to call it the wrong or the, the sin, let's get the picture. The word sin means to miss the mark. What it means is I really, really, really want to do the right thing. And I've tried to do it but I just keep missing it. I just keep, I can't go far enough. I can't be good enough. I've missed the mark. The word for transgression is a word that means you know this thing is wrong. You see the do not trespass sign, do not whatever, step on the grass. And you just see that, and something inside you says, nobody's going to tell me not to step on the grass. And we just deliberately transgress. That's a form of sin. But that's intentional. I saw it. I know it's wrong to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. Sins is, I really want to do what's right, but along the way, I just I miss it. And then there's the word iniquity. Iniquity is that perversion deep down in our heart and our mind. It's the twisting of what's right and wrong and saying, 
I know this says it's wrong, but this is right. This is the way we're going to do it. We live in a society of perversion. We do. We've said right is wrong and wrong is right. Black is white and white is black. We have twisted. There is iniquity. There is transgression. There is sin. Israel wouldn't dare come to the place saying, we've transgressed, we've we have wickedness in our heart, but David in Psalm 51 talked about it, didn't he? He mentioned all three about his sin with Bathsheba. And he said, I was conceived in iniquity. He talked about his transgression. He talked about his sins. Israel was coming out confessing. No matter how hard I try to do right, God, I miss it. I miss it. I miss the mark. That's what John was proclaiming. And John was proclaiming it from the standpoint that it's not just that you made a mistake. You missed the glory of God. And so when Paul was writing the Romans, he said, all we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've missed Give him the glory. I don't know whether that was on tune or not, Mike. But we've missed that. Every last person that's ever been born or ever will be born has missed the mark. We have missed the glory of God. This is what he wants. And we, no matter how hard we try, how good we are, kids, your dad has missed the mark. Your mom has missed the mark. Your children have missed the mark. Oh, well, you already knew that. Your pastor has missed the mark. We've all missed the mark because there is no way we can be right with God apart from what God does. And so here's John the Baptist. He he is saying when, when John Mark mentions him and says that, Verse 5, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and and, uh, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6 talks about how he was dressed. Verse 7 says, and he preached in perfect tense, repeated action in past time. He was preaching, he was saying this, after me comes one who's greater than I am. He was before I was. (laughs) He was before I was. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the lace of his sandal and wash his feet. The task that was for the lowliest servant, John said, I am not worthy to do that to this one who's coming after me. Now understand, as he was saying this, he did not yet know who it was. He did not yet know it was Jesus. Look, over to the Gospel of John. Take your copy. The Gospel of John, 
I'm going to begin reading in verse 29 of chapter 1. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. Listen to that. Did you hear that? I myself. Now they were cousins. Three months apart. I myself did not know him. It's not that he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know who this Messiah was, who the Lord was, who was coming. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he, that is God, who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Here was John. And John Mark just glosses over this so quickly, saying, I'm not worthy. He's going to come after me. I'm baptizing you with water. He, not knowing who he was at this time, because next week we get to Jesus' baptism when that takes place. But he did not know who it was. But he was among them. He was sure of it. Because God the Father had spoken in his heart, and he was speaking as a prophet, I'm not worthy, but the one who comes after me, I baptize you with the water, one comes after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Are there a lot of theological issues in these five verses? Repentance? Confession of sin, theology of sin, prophecy, the Son of Man, the one to come, baptism with the Holy Spirit. See, all Israel in the Old Testament understood was there was a Spirit of God. In Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the earth. He was there. Ruach is the Hebrew word. When God created man, male and female created he them in his image. First in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, he said, Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. And he did. And he, Ruach, he breathed the breath of God, the Spirit of God, into their lungs. They knew enough that uh, the Spirit of God came, the Spirit of God left. The Spirit of God came, the Spirit of God left. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, we have the story of Gideon. Gideon, mighty warrior. He said, who, me? He was hiding in a silo from the Moabites. When it comes time for him to lead this army against the enemies, it says the Spirit 
clothed Gideon. The Hebrew word has a dual meaning. It means the spirit wrapped himself around Gideon. He was the clothing for Gideon. It also means the spirit wrapped himself in Gideon. That the Holy Spirit dwelt in Gideon, and Gideon was the skin, so to speak, at that moment for the Spirit of God. Or else the Holy Spirit was the skin for Gideon at that time. We know the Spirit of God left Saul, King Saul, right? Because of his sin, God removed his spirit from King Saul. We know that in Psalm 51, David prayed, Do not take your spirit from me. Why? He saw what happened to Saul when God removed his spirit from Saul. And so he was confessing his sin of his immorality with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite and all of that in the process. And he said, Please restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Create within me a new heart, a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Do not take your spirit from me. David desperately knew that without the Spirit of God, there was nothing he could attain to for God as king. Nothing mattered. His kingship meant nothing. That's why when he came dancing before, he took his kingly robes off and began dancing wildly before the the, the return of the ark of God because it was the very presence of God. And he knew There could only be one king. And he was not it. And God was. Ezekiel, what I was talking about a while ago. Let me take you back there. Ezekiel, chapter 36. Here's the prophecy. That they would have known as Jews. Verse 24 of chapter 36. I will take you from the nations. And gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Verse 26. And I will give you a a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Israel knew this. Israel was longing, waiting for the day When God would fulfill His prophecy and God would would deliver them and cleanse them as a nation. They knew how they failed. Their system gave nothing but the opportunity to bring another goat, another sheep, another pigeon, another ox, sacrifice it. Death, 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 blood. And if they did it the right way, they were declared clean for another year. Then they had to come back. They had to come back. They had to come back. But the promise was 
that heart of stone will be removed from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a new spirit. I will put my spirit in you. And here comes John saying, the one who is to come. I baptize you with water, but he's going to immerse you. Immerse you in the Holy Spirit of God. We know in Ephesians that we are sealed by the Spirit of God to the day of redemption. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are gifted, the spiritual gifts we have, we are gifted severally by the will of the Spirit of God. We don't choose what spiritual gift we get to exercise within the body of Christ. The Spirit of God that God puts in us at the moment of salvation in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He says, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you're none of His. You don't belong to Him. You've not yet been saved. If you're saved, you have the Spirit of God. He has gifted you. We have all been baptized by one Spirit into one body. The Scripture says, it doesn't matter whether you're a part of this church or some other church. Are you part of His bride? Are you part of His body? Have you been immersed by the Spirit of God into His family, into His husbandry, into His body, into His building as living stones? All of those illustrations He uses throughout the New Testament. Israel came out in droves. All of Judea, all of Samaria, this place, if that happened, this place and every church in Branson would not be, every theater in Branson could not hold the people. If that were today, the people so desperately wanted what God had promised because God had drew them and delivered. And John was the delivery boy. He would fade off the scene, never being married, never having a child of his own, even come later in his life while he was in prison, sending his disciples to say, are you the one to come or should I seek another? Even the delivery boy at times can doubt when things look dark. Today, today, I, I, I don't know you. I, I'm your interim pastor. I don't know you. I met somebody here from Wisconsin. I met somebody here from Ohio. You may be here on vacation from somewhere else. I may have never met you. But if God has brought you here, and if you're on vacation and you came here, I could assume you know Jesus. Why would you go to church on vacation if you don't? You could just simply be religious. The Jews were. And yet the word came to them to repent, confess their sin for the remission of their sin. He proclaimed a baptism 
unto repentance. That's going to be dealt with all the way through the church. John comes back. Mark, John Mark, comes back at the end of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 16. He says, If you believe and are baptized, you shall be saved. But if you believe not, you will not be saved. Meaning, you can be a member of a church. You can have done everything the church has asked. You can have been baptized. You could have gone through confirmation. You could have gone through catechism. You could give. You could teach Sunday school. You could preach. And still not be saved. Are you? John, the baptizer, did not pull punches. Again, in the Gospel of John, he pointed the finger and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from that day forward, his disciples turned and they began to follow. Do you know Jesus? If not, you can the father draws individuals to his son. His son died on the cross that the payment to the father could be made so that we could be redeemed, purchased by his shed blood. He paid the price. The spirit comes and enlightens our heart. The scriptures say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, If our gospel's hid, it's hid to those who are lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind's eye so that they cannot see. But if they could see, they no doubt would see the light of God shining the face of Jesus Christ and be converted to Him today. Is today your day? Mine was the second Tuesday night of January 10, 1978. I know. I had a lot of religion prior to then. I know the real from the counterfeit. Do you know Jesus? Father, I pray today that you would do an awesome work in the midst of us who are here. There is there is no meeting, there is no lunch, there is nothing else so important that we would quickly gloss over. The moment that you, Father, may be drawing us to the Son, that you may be opening a heart to the message like you opened Lydia's heart, that you may be like Jesus on the road to Emmaus, even though he was in their presence, they did not know him and he spoke the word, and the hearts burned within them. But when you broke the bread, Lord Jesus, their eyes were opened, and they knew you. God, that's what we pray. We don't pray for religion. 
before a relationship with your son Jesus. It so transforms our lives that it transforms our families, it transforms our jobs, it transforms our communities. Because you're the one that does that through the power of your spirit dwelling within a transformed life. If there's somebody here who needs to be saved, God, give them the courage to slip out from where they'll be standing in a moment, take the stairs down, come off the floor. I'll be down here in the front on the floor to come to me. Maybe somebody just needs to come and kneel and pray. Maybe somebody here says, I live in this area. I've been attending this church, but I've never united my membership with this church. For some reason today, I'm compelled. God wants me as a member of Skyline Baptist Church because I want to be a part of what God is doing in Branson, Missouri. God, let your will be done. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.